All right, buenos dias. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord together, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. And this morning, we just pour out our hearts to you, Lord, and we acknowledge that you are good. We acknowledge your glory. We bow down in worship to you, Lord, and we surrender our lives now, Lord. And we pray as we get into your word that we would be good soil to receive every bit of seed that you have for us, Lord. We pray that the enemy would not steal any seed, nor would the pressures of the world, the cares and concerns of the world choke out the seed, Lord. But we pray now that your word would not return empty or void. We pray that it would blossom into great fruit, that we would be fruitful for your kingdom, Lord. And may you be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you say hello to a couple people, please, before you sit down? All right, you may be seated. Go ahead and take a seat, everyone. All right, well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. If you have your Bibles, can you go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of Luke chapter 8 and also 1 John chapter 4. And while you're doing that, I have a a few announcements, things going on in in and through the church. A couple weeks ago, I announced that we are hosting an event Saturday, October 7th, called Faith and the Blue. And what it is, is there's going to be a chili cook-off that's sponsored by the Flower Mound Police Department. And at this event, the chaplains for the police department are going to host a table that's going to have a chili offering. And it's going to be a contest. And so um, some of you may know or may not, I'm a chaplain for the police department, so I'm in it to win it. (laughs) And But uh, the community is invited. It's going to be here. So um, it'd be really awesome if you guys showed up and voted for us, but uh, seriously, the, the importance of supporting our police department is something that's important to me, and uh, they do a great job. The uh, chief of police is a believer, and uh, there are many believers over there, and it's not easy to be a police officer, and so uh, we want them to know that um, we love them and we're supporting them, and so just encourage you to come out. It's from 11 to 1, October 7th. And uh, so just, just come hang out, meet some police officers, and try some chili. So mark that on your calendars. And then the week before that, on October 1st, on Sunday, we're having a guest speaker, very well-known uh, guest speaker in the Christian circles, at least. And uh, his name is Jay Warner Wallace, and he wrote several books, but one, uh, Cold Case Christianity. And uh, he sort of has a apologetic way of going about things, meaning he has a, a way to apply 
his craft where he was a homicide detective for LAPD for, I think, 25 years, and then went about to discover if the Bible was true or not and used his homicide uh, investigative techniques. He was even in cold case, so that's even harder. But anyway, he's going to be here uh, October 1st, Sunday morning, and uh, he's going to be with the men the day before at the men's retreat. And you can still still sign up for the men's retreat. So that's uh, September 31st or 30th, whatever that Saturday is before that. And um, yeah, so that's good. The women just had their retreat, and uh, that went really well. So uh, Sophia from Haiti is here. Make sure you say hi to her. She's leaving today. And uh, you know, I know uh, her husband, Pastor Brian, is going to be very glad that she's going to be back. But uh, if you don't know, uh, our church uh, helps support their ministry in Haiti, and so it's great to have her out, and Pastor Brian's been out um, before. So uh, keep them in prayer and their ministry called Cross the Light. Um, if you want to look them up, you can look them up online. I believe we have cards in the foyer in regards to their ministry as well. So um, let's see, what else? Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we're continuing going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9, Lord willing, um, for that. And then uh, the last thing is tomorrow is uh, a day of commemoration in regards to 9-11. So it's hard, hard to believe uh, that has been so long. And a lot of you, when you think about 9-11, you probably have a a thought or a memory where you were when that was going on. And um, tomorrow at Town Hall, there's going to be a short service. Uh, It's put on by the town. And uh, there's going to be just probably just like 15 minutes to 30 minutes. And uh, so we want to invite you all out for that. It's going to be just a a short uh, ceremony of remembrance. And uh, there's going to be a chaplain there to pray. And so if you're so inclined to come at 8.30 to join that, it's right at Town Hall, uh, right down the road there. So with that, hopefully you're in your Bibles, and we're actually going to start in 1 John chapter 4 this morning, just as a launching pad for what we're going to look at in the book of Luke. Dealing with a heavy subject this morning and you know, I, I say that, but anytime you open your Bible, you're dealing with heavy subjects because the Bible deals with eternity. It deals with deeper things. It deals with the things that pertain to life and death. And so as we open our Bibles, we get into this particular section of Scripture that has to de- deal with how Jesus deals with demons. It's interesting if you notice, in, uh, if you're in First John chapter 4, in verse 1, this is addressed by the Apostle John, and he says to believers, he says, Beloved, do you, or he says, do not believe every spirit. Why does he say that? Because there are other spirits. He says, do not believe every spirit. So what that means is that there are other spirits. And that means that these other spirits come in a way where 
They are going to tell us things or impress upon us things that we should reject. So it's, it's just interesting how uh, a lot of times in, in Christianity, we don't want to really deal that much with things like demons and darkness. And I understand that. And I don't think we should make a living doing that. But as any good doctor will tell you, one of the most important things about their job is making a correct diagnosis. And I believe in, in, in much in Christianity, there's an imbalance. You're either hyper-focused on demons or you act like they don't exist at all. So it's important to have a, a biblical perspective of what's going on in this world. So, so we're told not to believe every spirit. That tells us there are spirits other than the Holy Spirit, other than the Spirit of God. He says to do what? To test these spirits. How do we test them? By the Word of God. So think about if you didn't know how to do that. Think about if you were unable to tell the difference between an evil spirit or the Holy Spirit. And that may seem strange because wouldn't it be easy to tell an evil spirit? I mean, haven't you seen a horror movie? It's easy to tell, isn't it? But the Bible says that Satan comes as an angel of light. He comes looking like Gavin Newsom. He looks, you know, handsome. That's all I'm saying. He comes handsome and well-spoken. He doesn't come in many cases in a way where he has a pitchfork. And he has, he, he deceives. That's why we're told. So the, the question is, can you tell the difference? So, so the reason that they are being told to test it is because there can be subtle differences. The, Satan comes as an angel of light. And not only does he come as an angel of light, he comes in a way where he tricks, he seduces, he entices, he tempts. He comes in a way that is not so obvious in many cases. And as he comes, then what he does is draw you into his web, so to speak. Look further in 1 John chapter 4. We are to test the Spirit whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So that means that these spirits, they work through, in and through people that say that they are speaking for God and speaking the things of God. And these people are often very smooth and very slick, and they tickle our ears. What does that mean? They tell us the stuff we love to hear. They tell us the stuff that builds us up, that makes us think everything is okay. Did you know prophets of the Old Testament 
of Jeremiah. He would teach the truth, and people weren't into it that much. But there were other prophets who would tell them what they wanted to hear, and the people loved it. You know, we live in a time where people love that. They love to hear the smooth-sounding words that drip this honey of poison. And they eat it up. And they get puffed up. And they do it all, oftentimes, in the name of God. And people are unable to tell the difference. And people don't even care if there is a Bible in the pulpit or not. It doesn't matter. Why? Because the words are smooth. They're easy to digest. And they leave the person in a much worse state than they came in. John tells us to be careful. Look at verse 2. He said, by this, you know the Spirit of God. So there's a Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who speaks truth. And he says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Look at verse 4. You are of God, speaking to believers. Little children, and you have, past tense, have overcome them, the evil, the evil ones, because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So, why does John say that? Because John recognizes that to be a Christian in this world is a battle, is war, is conflict because of the nature of this world and the nature of what's in us. So he tells these believers, he says, you have to know this. What's inside of you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than what's in the world. So turn back with me to the book of Luke. So that's important to know. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So the question is, talking about all this demon stuff, what are, you, what are even demons? Well, the Bible tells us, and this is, this is how we know we're treading on solid ground, is we don't make up stuff, and we don't draw our understanding of darkness through horror movies and things like that. We just look at the Bible. So... What are, what are demons? Are there demons? Is that real? Well, John says they are. Every other book says, in the Bible says they are. So what are they? Well, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. It's one place that tells us what these evil spirits are and says this. The Bible is so amazing. It just tells us everything that we need to know. 
And what we don't know, we don't need to know. What's not revealed, we don't need to know. What we need to know, it's revealed. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed, they belong to us. So what's revealed about these demons? They exist, they're real. How did they get to be that way? Well, John, uh, Revelation 12, 7, a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. That's Satan. Satan was an angel. For homework tonight, go read Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. So there's a, a fight that happened in heaven. And we're told in Isaiah 14 that Satan, as we know him, was an angel in heaven. And he exercised his will against God. He was a created being. God is the creator of all things. So big difference, creator versus created. And this created being was exalted in his mind through pride and came against God. And because of that, God cast him down and he became Satan as we know him against God, rebelling against God, causing and attempting to cause others to rebel against God. And this happened before the Garden of Eden, because in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, there he was exercising what he does, and that's to tempt people away from God. So this fight broke out in heaven, and it wasn't... So, so Satan fought against God... But misery loves company, and he took other angels with him. So Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his, his angels fought. But the dragon and his angels did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. They are cast out. So the great dragon, Satan, was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who, get this, he deceives the whole world. He was cast to earth, and his angels were cast with him. So that's where demons come from. And demons are a third of the angels in heaven. They follow Satan, and as they follow Satan, they are called in the Bible things like impure spirits, deceiving spirits, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil. And the Bible tells us what, what they do, what demons do, is one, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, they blind the gospel from people, or they blind people's eyes to see the light of the gospel. So that means right now there are demons going around trying to mess you up so you don't hear the word of God. That's why it's so important that we have people praying here at church. That's why it's so important if you think, oh, I don't have a ministry. You have a ministry to be praying right now. We're told that Satan comes to steal the seed. So it doesn't 
penetrate in God's heart. So Satan knows the power of God's word. That's why he uh, focuses a lot of attacks against the, God's word, either distorting it or perverting it or minimizing it or making it so light. You can't, you mix it with everything else, taking the power out of it or just snatching it away, whatever he can do. But his target is the word of God. Why? The Word of God is the truth that does what? Sets people free. So that's where he, he, he focuses attack. So, so he blinds people's eyes. The only reason someone would not hear and receive God's Word this morning is because Satan is blinding your eyes. What else does he do? He possesses people. We're going to see that this morning, Lord willing, if we get to it. But he possesses people to cause physical harm and spiritual harm. So now think about having a biblical worldview and understanding the world in regards to the fact that there are evil spirits working in the world to cause the things that we see in the world. And what Satan wants to do is for us to misdiagnose that and then go about secular ways to try to fix it. When in reality, if we look at Ephesians 5 where it talks about the armor of God, it, it, it tells us that the way to fight, we don't fight flesh and blood. Like we can punch each other out as much as we want, but all that does is make Satan happy. Because that's not the fight. If we are fighting each other, he loves it. He sits back there and goes, right on, I win. And then if he does that within the church, it's even better. Look, they're fighting each other. Yeah. But our fight goes deeper than that, and it's against Satan. That's why in, with the armor of God scriptures in Ephesians, that we're told our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this age, which means they're set up in ranks like military. And although we don't necessarily see them, we see the effects. And so as we begin to understand what Satan does, he, we understand that he blinds people from the word of God. He possesses people to cause spiritual and physical harm, to make people do the things that they don't want to do. So you think about influence. So Satan can use a lot of things. How many of us, hopefully not now, but even now or in the past, have done so many things that you would have never done if you were not under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Think about that. So Satan uses things to get us to do things that in our right mind we would never do. And so he uses many different tools. But he does so to cause physical harm, spiritual harm, and to make people do evil. And he can do that through possessing a person or oppressing a person or influencing. So he doesn't have to possess everybody. We don't know how much that occurs or not. But we do know it happens and we do know either that happens or he's working from the outside, not from the inside to influence 
people, he works both ways. He works to deceive people. He works to promote false doctrine. He can perform signs and wonders. And he does torment believers from the outside. We begin to, begin to understand those things and we look at some of the scriptures that we have in regards to evil spirits. Acts chapter 8. I'll have all these scripture references for you if you want them later, by the way. And everything I just said, I have scripture references for all those. Just email me and I'll send them to you. Acts 8, 7 says, For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Get this one. 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now, the Holy Spirit says that in latter times or the last days, some will depart from the faith. Have we seen that? Are we seeing that? Is that happening now? Do you know why? Giving heed or paying attention to deceiving spirits. People uh, are going through this whole glamorization of uh, people leaving their faith or they, what do they call it? Deconstructing their faith, whatever it is. And you, you can deconstruct styles and things like that, but if you truly have faith, you don't de deconstruct that. And so I don't, a lot of times I don't know what they're talking about. Maybe they just didn't like the church their parents went to, so they, so they don't like the style of music. And that, that you can deconstruct that all you want, but if you're truly born again, you can't deconstruct being born again. Because I don't know, I've never seen someone be born and then go back into their mother's womb and be unborn. That doesn't happen. But this is, this is very insightful. The leaving of the faith comes because people have paid attention to de deceiving spirits. And now we live in a time where these deceiving spirits have so many ways to access so many people. In an undiscerning, unwise, naive person can blindly walk into these traps and actually think that they're more godly than someone else. They think that they've arrived into a new understanding of God, a deeper level. It's a, and this is exactly the same thing that's gone on ever since the beginning when Satan tempted Eve. He wanted her to know that there's a, a higher knowledge for her to have. More she could have. And even though she knew the truth and she knew what God said, she was tempted away from that. So deceiving spirits are doing that same exact thing. It says in 1 Timothy 4.1 that these deceiving spirits, if we pay attention to them, without the word of God, without seeking the truth, they will draw us away from God and they will use many different ways even tell us, well, you can be a Christian, but you don't have to believe all Christian stuff. 
you can still be a Christian, but you can deny God and deny God's word. And maybe God didn't really mean that when he said that. And it's exactly class book, textbook, Garden of Eden. It's all the same stuff. James chapter 2, verse 19 tells us that demons believe in God. And they're even afraid of him. You know, all of creation believes in God. Even if we didn't praise God, the rocks would cry out. All of creation, all of existence obeys God, except us. Because we've been given free will. We're the only creation that has the ability to rebel against God. And that's because of the gift of free will that God's given us to choose Him or reject Him. In Revelation 16, 14, it tells us that these spirits of demons, they perform signs. And it says these signs go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world. So that means that they have an ability to deceive those in the greatest Positions of influence and power. Do we see that going on in the world? Does it seem like there's a lot of weird things that with going on with the most powerful, famous, popular people in this world? Why is there so many symbolism, so much symbolism in like music and their music and in their words? And you're talking from politics to entertainment to sports. Why did it seem just all this weird stuff? And that's where I, I want to just be very careful not to speculate and just go down that rabbit trail and just look at what the Bible says. So Satan has tools. There's many to, to list and to talk about, but astrology is one. Horoscopes. And I have, I'm not going to go through all the scripture references for these, but I have them if you want them. Have you ever considered killing a baby, being demonic? Seems like it would be, but is there a scripture for that? Well, Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, it says, there shall, be not, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. That was a practice. That was and even the children of Israel would do this practice. And this practice was a sacrifice of their child, their firstborn child, to the god Molech in order for them to be blessed and to be more fertile in the future. So they thought if, I, if we sacrifice our firstborn, then our life will be better after we'll be blessed by the gods. And so... Deuteronomy 18 tells us that anyone who does that, or it says practices witchcraft, is a soothsayer, one who interprets omens, or is a sorcerer who conjures spells, or is a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. It says all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of the abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. In Acts 16, 16, 
there is a, a slave girl performing fortune telling, telling for money. Worshiping stars, the Bible tells us, is demonic. Worshiping angels is demonic. Asking and praying for spirit guides is demonic. And here's one that may hit home even more. For some of us, yoga is demonic. I know there are ways, and I just want you to really consider this because I know there are probably some here that do yoga and they're not ascribing any of that practice to worshiping the devil or anything, but I just want to tell you, when you start getting into those things, yoga means yoked. You're yoked to Brahma, the God. It's a Hindu practice. The poses are worship poses to demons. Exodus 23.5 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Get this in regards to yoga and those type of practices. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I don't think you can glorify God in your body and in your spirit by doing yoga. And if you have more questions about that, we can talk about it. I'm just saying be very careful of this stuff. Statues and deities, worshiping statues and deities, all evil and pagan. Psychic reading, I've noticed around town a sign I, as I drive around stuck in the ground. It says psychic readings, and there's a, a phone number. And I'm like, I thought I left California. <laughs> Tarot cards, having a medium, any medium that goes between a, a person and God other than Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between man and God. It's the, Christ, the man Christ Jesus. If you have any kind of medium that goes between you and God, that's evil. That's demonic. Obviously, witchcraft, nature worship. Romans one twenty five in regards to worshiping nature, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. How about Old Testament? Deuteronomy 4.19. Take heed, whenever you see that, that means pay attention. Lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and to serve them, which the Lord God has given to all people under the whole heaven as a heritage. In other words, God has given those things as a way to acknowledge our Creator, not the creation. Like when you see the beauty of nature, you say, wow, God, you're amazing. You don't say, wow, I worship you, sun and moon and stars. You worship the creator of those things. Goddess worship. Last thing, I'll, so I'll say two things. The Enneagram has become really popular. Jesus Calling book. Might as well just throw them all out here. Not good. Last one I'll say is trying to blend Christianity with the New Age. Again, Exodus 23 says, You shall have no other gods before me. 
Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And that's not to mention how Satan uses pornography and music and all of that with the goal of John 10.10 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. So, you guys ready to get into the scripture? <laughs> so, in Luke 8, and if I did not think that was important, I would not talk about that. But it is important. And I feel like a big part of my job is warning, not just soothing and comforting. But that's a part of it, too. But not, it's not only part of it. As we Satan, see Satan and the effects in, a, in the world of Satan and the working of Satan, we have to know and make the right diagnosis to what's going on. And that's the first step to being free and not being held in bondage and captivity by all these secular tools that he uses to bring about strongholds in people's lives. So Luke chapter 8, Jesus wants his disciples to know about this. But not just about the power of darkness and evil. Probably the disciples we're more aware of those things than we are. But Jesus needed to, them to know that he was more powerful than those things. That's what we need to know. And so we left off last week. Look at verse 25 of chapter 8. Jesus calmed the waves and the storm. What, what was he doing there? He's showing his disciples, I have power over all nature. That was what Jesus was doing. And, and he was teaching them to have faith. They didn't quite fully understand who he was, so their faith was limited. So you notice in verse 25 of chapter 8, it says, But Jesus said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him. So the disciples, their faith was limited because they didn't understand the ultimate power of God. So as Jesus was with them, they knew he had power. They had seen him do miracles, but... They didn't know how powerful he was, and they were put in a position to where their lack of faith was exposed. That's what tests do. You remember last week we talked about teaching is good, but the tests bring it into reality. So the, the, he taught, and then he brought about the test and exposed this insufficiency in their faith because they, they, they doubted because they didn't, know his power. And what was his power in? He said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. So his power was in the word. If he says we're going to the other side, that, that seals it. There's no question. That's it. Just stop. We're going to the other side. Well, there's wind and waves and the boat's filling up. That doesn't matter. He said we're going to the other side. 
That's what Jesus was teaching them. So now they get to the other side, and we see why Jesus wanted to go to the other side. He sailed, they sailed, to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. What's Gadarenes? Why is that name there? This is a particular location on the Sea of Galilee. Remember, much of Jesus' ministry, the majority of it really, was around the area of the Sea of Galilee. The area of the Gadarenes that's being spoken of here is called that because of the tribe of Gad. The tribe of Gad was one of those tribes, one of the two and a half tribes that when the children of Israel were given the promised land and were to cross over into the land, they were one of the two and a half tribes that said, we want to stay on the other side. So they didn't fully go in by faith and live and dwell there. They went in and helped fight, but then they went back. Guess who, when the children of Israel were taken captive, guess who the first ones to be taken captive were? Those in Gad. Those in this area. Why? Because they were following at a distance. They were not obeying God fully. They wanted to do their own thing. And so that's always the people that are, are taken first because they're straddling the fence, straddling the line, not fully going in and embracing God's promises by faith, but kind of hanging back. They're always on the fringe, fringe of Christianity, fringe of the world, very fringy. So this was the area Jesus went to, and it says in verse 27, this is interesting the way this is kind of laid out, when he stepped out on the land, so picture this, Jesus was in this boat, he went with his disciples, and they set out, the boat was almost sank, Jesus was asleep in the boat while this was happening, the disciples cried out, they're freaked out, Jesus save us, we're dying, he calms the sea, and the storm, and they continue going to where he wanted to go. And it's like, as soon as he got out of the boat and stepped on land, there met him. You see that in the Bible? Those are those little details that are interesting. Because this is how Satan works. He's always looking to meet us. He's always looking in every situation and, and circumstance. And you remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he said, I'll come back at a what? Opportune time. I'll wait until just the right moment. And, and so the disciples, they're probably they're just coming off that big victory. And you think, you ladies that just went to Broken Bow and you're coming off that big victory and you step back into Flower Mound and all of a sudden, rah! Like, hey, I thought this was going to be easy. We just got back from Broken Bow. And like, okay, here we go. Satan's waiting. But it says, a certain man, he was from the city. Notice that. He was from the city. What does that mean? So this individual at one time had a normal life. From the city, meaning that he probably had lived in a house, had a job, maybe, well, probably had a family, had clothes, and lived a normal life. 
But it says right after that, that's where he's from. It gives us that background. But then it said he had demons for a long time. So this is where it gets really interesting. What happened? And we don't know. And this is where we have to be careful of speculating. How did he get demon-possessed? Because there are a lot of other people around that weren't demon-possessed, but also weren't followers of God. In the area that they're in, we're going to see in a moment, they were pig farming, which is not kosher for Jewish people. So they weren't religious at all in the way of Judaism. Why did he get demon-possessed? We're not really sure. We can think and surmise that there's a, a limited number of demons that they can't possess everybody, but they do possess some, and there seems to be some door or portal or some invitation that has to happen. And that's why I mentioned the particular things that I mentioned before. Those seem like pretty modern things in, in our day that are cool and popular, but could be an avenue. Definitely drugs is something that can kind of open a portal. If you start dabbling in the dark occult practices, that can be those kind of things that, that invite that. Now, at this point, we have to be clear that if you are a Christian, you cannot be possessed by the devil because you're possessed by the Holy Spirit. And so it is not possible for a believer to be demon-possessed because now we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you're not a believer, not every non-believer gets possessed, but could it be that many who are actually demon-possessed are diagnosed with some other problem when it's really they're demon-possessed? I think so. Because a lot of the traits of someone demon-possessed are traits that we see with people manifesting actions that people would just put a, more of a medical diagnosis on. Now, what is it about? We get some details about this particular individual. This, he, he was possessed with demons for a long time. Demons is plural. So he had multiple demons. And it says he wore no clothes. Now, I don't know. What's that? I, I actually try to research that. I, I just I don't know what that is. But it, it does seem interesting that people that are on certain drugs that they want to be naked all the time in public. And they, I remember um, PCP was big in like the 90s, and one of the things, they just want to take off their clothes. And so if you're more understanding about drug things, maybe you know better, but it just seems odd. But I do know this. Satan, his goal is to make human beings live like animals. He wants to reduce a human being. Why? He hates the fact that humans were made in the image of God. And he hates 
God. So he hates those who are made in the image of God. So he wants to take those who are made in the image of God and make them into an animal. Make them act like an animal. Make them live like an animal. So maybe that could be interesting uh, part of it. But it does say, and it is pointed out for some reason that he, he wore no clothes. So he was, he was naked, and he comes up, upon Jesus. He was like that for a long time. It says he didn't live in a house, but he lived in tombs. So they're just an attraction to dead things. I remember growing up, when I walked home from elementary school, there was a cemetery that you can actually cut through there and get home faster or go a little longer and go around the corner. I never cut through. I always just felt uncomfortable with that, even if my friends did. There's some sort of attraction to deadness. And isn't it interesting... In John 10.10, it says that Satan comes to steal, rob, and destroy. So that's his goal. But right after that, it says, but I, God, has come to give life and that more abundantly. So things that are are lively, things that are alive, have a tendency to be the things of God, things that are alive in the Spirit, in the Spirit of God. And then dead things. Those are things that are more attractive to people that are dead. And you notice there's been you know, different things like the zombie apocalypse and why are people into that? It's just because they relate to that. You know, the gothic, if you were younger and you dressed in all black and painted your face white and you walked around like that, it's just associating with dark things. I remember what Pastor Brian told us and if you talk to Sophia, she would probably have more stories about actual demon possession in Haiti because they are, their state religion is voodoo. But Pastor Brian, one time we were out there and we were driving around and we, we looked in this tree and there was a, a little chair hanging in a tree off a branch. And he goes, hey, you see that? Why do you think they put chairs in trees? I don't know. He said, that's a curse that the voodoo people put on people because it makes them sit down. It makes them not want to go outside. It makes them want to hide in their room or their basement or their closet in the darkness. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to sit us down and put us in hiding. So when we ever feel like that, we're not talking about times of rest and all that. We're talking about, I just want to stay in my dark room. I don't want to talk to anybody, be with anybody, be around anybody. That's demonic. I'm not saying you're possessed. That just means you're influenced by Satan. Satan wants you to stay in your room. And if you have a TV or a gaming system in your room, he wants you to just sit there because it's not healthy for you. It's not what we're created to do. We're not created to sit in a dark room and play video games or watch TV. We're created to be in the light and to be in fellowship with one another, enjoy the things that God has given us. And that's why God raises us from the dead so that he raises us to new life. That in Christ we can enjoy the things that the world has. It's a fallen world, but God made it. 
We can enjoy the ocean and the mountains and the sea. We can enjoy family and fellowship and all the good things that God has given us, but we can only do that in Christ. So he's hiding in the tombs. Doesn't have a house. Darkness. Isolated. In verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, And he fell down before him. That's an act of submission. The presence of Jesus made evil do this. What does that tell you? What's the answer to evil? Jesus. The presence of Jesus was so powerful, Jesus didn't even say anything. And he fell down before Jesus. That's the answer. This is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. That evil and darkness and demons, they can't stand up to Jesus. So the demon falls out, many demons, they fall down before him. And with a loud voice, they say, what have I to do with you, Jesus? Now, isn't that interesting? If the demons don't have anything to do with Jesus... Why is it so often that many Christians are okay having to do with dark, evil things? It doesn't make sense. The blending, the mixing of, oh, I'm a Christian, but all these New Age crystals and techniques, that's okay too. But here we see it's very clear. Light has no fellowship with darkness. A demon doesn't want to be around Jesus. He's basically saying, get away. Why is he saying that? Because Jesus is going to mess up his foothold on this individual. He doesn't want that. Get away. It's not even going to be a fight. They're not going to wrestle. They're not going to do jujitsu. They're not going to be in a cage and have a match. It's not like that. It's not a fight. Satan falls down in submission to the power of Jesus. And he doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Hey, how about if there's some darkness in your house, you turn on worship music all day. Think Satan wants to be there? How about if you worship with the worship music? Think Satan wants to be there? Absolutely not. How about if scripture is being read in the household and praises to God and prayer? You think Satan wants to be? He's going to tempt you to not do that. But notice what he says. What have I to do with you, son of the most high God? So this theology of the demon is such that he knows that God is the most high, that everything is below him. That means that he has all power. And then he starts begging him, do not torment me. In Matthew 8, 29, he says, before the time. Isn't that interesting? You know what that means? These demons know their time is limited. The Bible tells us there's going to be a particular time when Satan and his demons are going to be locked up for a thousand years. And they're saying, don't do that now. We want to continue to have the opportunity to mess people up. So can you do something else? We don't want to do that now. But there is going to be a time. Verse 29, so Jesus commanded the unclean spirit 
to come out of the man. So if Jesus commands the unclean spirit, what must happen? Has to obey. Doesn't have a choice. And it says, for this demon seized him. This demon was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. So what that means is this, this person somehow opened the door for demon possession. The demons begin to wreak havoc in his life, and that havoc wreaked in his life would mean havoc wreaked in other people's life. Violence, and we don't know all, we don't know all the stuff he's doing, but they're saying, we got to get him out of here. So they send him out, and they shackle him, kind of like prison, but he is so strong, supernatural strength, he broke the chains, and they just left him out there. He's just out there. We'll just leave him out there to stay away. And we'll operate over here. You do whatever you do over there. And we'll just stay away. And when anybody would try to walk, walk through there, he would go after them. So he, he was isolated. Now, look at what Jesus says in verse 30. So Jesus asked him. Now, Jesus is directing his conversation not to the man, but to the demon inside of the man. He said, what's your name? He said, my name is Legion. Legion referring to a Roman legion of soldiers, which would be 6,000 soldiers. Legion because many demons have entered him. We don't know. It doesn't mean 6,000 demons has, had entered in. We don't know that. But we don't, do know multiple demons entered this person. Verse 31, they, the demons, begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. The abyss is what the Bible refers to as the bottomless pit or the place of confinement for demons. There's a certain place where demons are confined. And in the millennial kingdom, they will be confined to this place for a thousand years. So then in verse 32, it says, Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. So they're, they're wanting to go somewhere. Isn't that interesting? So demons want to possess something. They don't like to be free floating. They like to be in a physical body because it seems like that's like a vehicle for them to do their work. So they said, well, we can't be in this guy anymore. Let us go into pigs. So these pigs were demon-possessed. Verse 33, the demons then went out of the man, entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake, and they drowned. So you remember what, what Satan wants to do? Destroy, kill, rob. So the, now you see the effects and the, the power of these demons. Kind of like the, when they went into these pigs, it reminds me of those those feral hogs or wild hogs, they seem like they're possessed to me. <laughs> anyway, but watch this. This is so mind-blowing. We're almost finished. Don't worry. So, so those who fed them, so these, 
There were like pig farmers who were taking care. That was their livelihood. They saw what happened and they ran away into the city and in the country and they, they went out to see what happened. So all these people came out because the farmers went and said, hey, this is what happened. And all these people, they came out. But notice, they came to Jesus and they found the man. I love that. Can you imagine that the man seems like he's right next to Jesus here? So they come out and they see the man and they see Jesus. And it was like, you are witnessing the answer. And you are seeing, it's like a sermon for their eyes. Look at him. Look at this man. And they, they would have all known him. Look at him. And they would have come out. And it says, as they, they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, where was he? Do you see that? you got to see that. Look at it. Sitting at Jesus' feet. That's amazing to me. You know why? Because Jesus said, if he casts out demons and the house is swept clean. So say you are reformed. You go through some program to reform yourself. You clean your life up. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? That demon's going to come back and say, hey, it looks better now. And he's going to tell his friends and seven more come back. You know why that's important? Because being sort of reformed on the outside is not going to fix the demon problem. Only being transformed on the inside. And when we just try to clean up the outside, we are susceptible to more demon activity after that. But this man was a true believer. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And notice what it says. He was clothed in what? What does that say? In his right mind. He didn't have to go through years of non-effective therapy techniques. It was Jesus who gave him a right mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But who is afraid now? The multitude, the people that came out, they were afraid. You see that? They were afraid now. What were they afraid of? The demonic power, they could manage that. Just send them out there. They were afraid because the power that Jesus had, they couldn't manage that. It was the power to set people free. It was the power to give people new lives. It was the power to send away the darkness, to break the chains of bondage of sin and darkness. And they were afraid of that power. And that's exactly what Jesus was teaching the disciples, that he has ultimate all power over all things. And he wanted his disciples to know that. Because he wanted them to have faith in God's ultimate power. He can do anything. He can do everything. And it's not even hard. So verse 36, they also who had seen it told them by what means he, how did he do this? How did he do this? The man who has demon possessed, how was he healed? They told him 
told them the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the gatherings, they asked Jesus to depart from them. For they were seized or gripped with great fear, and Jesus got into the boat in return. They didn't want Jesus around. Jesus messed up their thing. And that seems shocking. Wouldn't they look at this man and say, we want this guy around? But instead they said, get out of here. We don't want you messing up our stuff, messing up our world, messing up our plan. But when Jesus comes, he will mess up all the worldly stuff in our life. He will turn it upside down and get rid of it. We can't stay the same. We can only push Jesus away. Let's look at that, the last couple of verses. So now the man from whom the demons departed. So how do you think he was feeling at this point? What did he do? Jesus, I want to be with you. He who is forgiven much, loves much. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, I want to be with you forever. I don't want you to leave. But Jesus sent him away. And he said, hey, go back to your own house. Can you imagine what is how He had a house. That means he had a family. Can you imagine when he came back what they would have thought? We don't know. But they would have seen a miracle. They would have seen a man transformed by Jesus. And Jesus said, go tell them all the great things that God has done for you. And he didn't fight it. He didn't rebel. He went his way. He, he was obedient. And he proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things that Jesus had done for him. That's what we do. Don't get caught up in... I'm not Jay Warner Wallace. I'm not Jay Vernon McGee. Whoever you want to... You know what witnessing is? Is telling people the great things that God has done for you. It's pointing to a Savior who has set you free by the blood that He shed on the cross. This is the church. So that means and suggests that if you're truly born again, you have great things to tell people. And you know people that need to hear great things. Jesus is the answer. Jesus has the power. Jesus is in all, through all. He's everything. And so let us finish by surrendering our everything to God. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning thanking you. I thank you for those here, Lord, that they sit probably much longer than a lot of churches, Lord. Bless them. I pray, Lord, for anybody here who first and foremost maybe is not demon-possessed, but certainly does not have a personal relationship with you has never received you as their Lord and Savior. I pray for them now. And I pray that they would not trust in anything else except for the blood 
of Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus on the cross that right now they would put their faith in you. Right now, do it. And I pray for the rest of us who know you. I pray for any of us that are dabbling in darkness, that have bought the lies of the enemy, that it's not that big of a deal and it's small and it's not a, an issue. I pray, Lord, that we have no other gods before us, that we love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We had no, leave no room for a stronghold or a foothold of the enemy to get into our life. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, and help us to be fruitful for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may stand, please. If anybody here this morning would like prayer about anything, we're going to have our prayer team come forward. And uh, I'll ask my wife to come forward. I'll be part of the prayer team this morning. And let's worship the Lord. God bless you guys. Thank you, ladies. Lead us.